Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Outer Gods from the Cthulhu Mythos. H.P. Lovecraft was a writer from the early 20th century and died in relative obscurity. Like uh, so many famous artists, his work only became famous and renowned across the world after his death. But he would become the father and creator of an entire genre, known simply as cosmic horror, to which the main point is the fear of the unknown, but also the complete insignificance of our tiny meaningless lives in a universe where humanity is just a blink in time among star gods and countless civilizations that have risen and fallen before us across the eons of cosmic history. There's roughly four types of these star gods. The outer gods, which this episode's about, the great old ones like Cthulhu, the Great Ones, which are weak gods of Earth that dwell in an alternate dimension called the Dreamlands, and the Elder Gods, which are usually depicted as being in opposition to the Great Old Ones like Cthulhu as well as the Outer Gods. The mythos plays around the idea of all these horrible things, humanity just being blissfully unaware of, with a lot of things humans just simply unable to see or even comprehend with our tiny primitive minds, and that we're completely at the mercy of powerful entities that are totally indifferent to our very existence. Which also plays into a consistent theme of madness with humans going insane when they view things that our metaphorically infantile brains aren't ready to see. There's pretty much no happy endings in the Mythos universe. And it's, it's not that these entities are evil or malevolent, though some may seem that way. More so, evil and good are just human constructs. The entities of the Cthulhu Mythos just are, like nature. Nature isn't malevolent, but the elements will still kill you. For example, a shark isn't evil. It just needs to feed like anything else in nature, and will treat a seal or a human exactly the same. These entities are so vast, ancient, and powerful, they're far beyond anything a human can comprehend. All humanity could just seem like ants to them. And you have to ask yourself, do people feel bad about killing ants? Well, maybe, maybe some, but not many. This can be very analogous to the Cthulhu mythos, and humanity's place in it. Many Cthulhu mythos entities are interdimensional, able to interact with multiple planes of existence and all at the same time. So while they can manifest in physical, real matter like we're used to, they aren't really bound by this. It's also important to remember that Lovecraft left the canon concerning his universe pretty open to interpretation, and even encouraged other writers to pen stories in his universe. This also includes the names of entities and pronunciations. Lovecraft himself would pronounce names very differently on a consistent basis. So the canon and pronunciations are basically up to the reader. If you're a fan of the Mythos universe and I pronounce an outer god differently than you do, you're not allowed to get mad at me because that's how Lovecraft intended it. Which also shows Lovecraft's genius, because he left the canon open for a reason. To allow our imaginations to run wild. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles.
out of all the entities of the Cthulhu mythos, I think the most important one to start with is Azathoth. After all, he is the head of the Outer Gods in the mythos and not only thought of as their creator, but the creator of the universe and all planes of existence as well. And like most entities in the mythos universe, Azathoth is known by many other names too. Like the Primal Chaos, the Blind Idiot God, the Deep Dark, the Cold One, the Nuclear Chaos, and the Demon Sultan. He's also hands down the most powerful and feared Outer God of all the mythos. Nothing even comes close to Azathoth on a fundamental level. Though with everything Lovecraft, the canon is totally geared towards the reader's personal interpretation. So basically anyone's personal headcanon overrides everything I say concerning the head of the Outer Gods. Azathoth floats in space at the center of existence. But there are a lot of people who have come up with uh, sometimes pretty bizarre theories, but sometimes pretty coherent ones too about where he's actually located. One such theory is that the being is actually at the center of our planet, though the majority would dictate Azathoth floats in the void. It's there that Azathoth sleeps, and it's only because Azathoth sleeps that humans exist in the first place. Lovecraft mentioned Azathoth in a lot of his tales, but never really gave a solid description of the Outer God. It was only later that other authors and the fandom would give us a solid description of what the Outer God might look like. He's described as an amorphous blob of tentacles, which is ever-writhing and changing with no stable or consistent form and a gaping mouth of countless sharp teeth. His size is beyond human comprehension of what a living being might be capable of. Here's a description from H.P. Lovecraft himself from the unfinished story he wrote, entitled Azathoth. And I quote, Outside the ordered universe is that amorphous blight of nethermost confusion, which blasphemes and bubbles at the center of all infinity. The demon sultan Azathoth, whose name no lips dare speak aloud, and who gnaws hungrily in inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time and space amidst the muffled, maddening beating of vile drums and thin monotonous whine of accursed flutes. End quote. Lovecraft was very vague about the Outer God's appearance, and for good reasons, I guess. Because in the mythos, every single person envisions Azathoth differently. He's the definition of chaos, and ever-changing and random. The Outer God may exist outside our reality beyond space-time, However, there is evidence of his existence in our material universe. At the center of the Milky Way galaxy is a supermassive black hole called Sagittarius A, which, in the mythos, is a physical avatar of Azathoth. He's the center of infinite chaos, existing beyond all concepts, beyond the knowledge of all life forms, and even the other outer gods don't understand Azathoth, holding the blind idiot god in utter reverence and fear. Luckily, the nuclear chaos is in an eternal sleep, where the servitors of the Outer Gods constantly circle Azathoth. They're lesser deities, who are damned to play a maddening tune with drums and flutes in an eternal song to keep the great demon sultan from awakening. It's of the utmost importance that the song never ceases, because Azathoth must never be awoken, at all costs. Though, despite living in a seemingly infinite sleep, the Outer God is omnipotent, omnipresent, possesses omniscience, 
and has omni-manifestation, meaning he can manifest looking like anything and everything, which I find interesting because he's described as the blind idiot god, which contradicts all these baffling abilities and powers. But I just think even the people and entities who describe Azathoth in-universe don't really get him or understand him, because trying to define the ineffable is hilarious, especially when he's described as being oblivious to the universe and all the beings within it, and it doesn't really make sense for something to be omnipotent and unconscious and unaware at the same time, unless the entity has a subconscious like humans do. Also, Asathoth commands his son, the outer god Neolothotep, to carry out his messages and will. And how can something oblivious to existence have a will or command other entities? Though there are some people who claim that Neolothotep is not just the son of Asathoth, but actually Asathoth's avatar. However, there's no reason to overanalyze it too much because Lovecraft left so many things open without explanation for a reason, for us to create our own canon. And with such an open way to look at things, fans of the mythos have come up with countless theories. Like Azathoth is actually just a pawn, just a tool for a far more unknowable entity, used to manifest reality because of its primordial chaotic powers of creation. Another interesting theory is that Azathoth is the sole survivor of a cosmic war between entities just like himself, and that the conflict damaged Azathoth to the point the entity lost its intelligence, sanity, and reason. He got cosmic brain damage, basically. And in his slumber, Azathoth dreams everything into existence. Well, that last bit's a little bit more than a theory because it's pretty much accepted across the board that that's how the Mythos universe works. So pretty much everything in existence takes place within the mind of Azathoth, or at least is given form by it. It's said Azathoth doesn't know what he dreams about, from bacteria to light to human lives, all the way up to Cthulhu and the other outer gods themselves. In a sense, everything is Azathoth, which is why the Outer God is so interesting and horrifying. In fact, Azathoth is basically the epitome of cosmic horror, with all life in the universe being a meaningless dream given form from an uncaring and unknowing God, human lives being even less than insignificant. But still, that's just one way to look at it. Azathoth is unknowable and even beyond the comprehension of the other outer gods, the great old ones, and pretty much all entities in the Mythos universe. So, like I said, trying to label and define the ineffable is hilarious. And since Lovecraft left so much open to interpretation, the only real canon concerning Azathoth is what you choose it to be. It really is one of the reasons why his writing is so brilliant. And I really wish more franchises and authors would do stuff like that too. Even though Azathoth is the ruler of the Outer Gods and the Great Old Ones, the nuclear chaos actually doesn't have many cultists on Earth. Well, when compared to other entities, that is. But those that do exist practice obscene rites on still-living victims. His followers are pretty much insane and are incredibly dangerous to the inquiries of common people. There's really not enough to work with engaging exactly what cultists of Azathoth believe, or even their philosophy concerning him for that matter. 
It's most likely a pretty dark and nihilistic worldview, though. Supposedly, their intention is to summon Azathoth, or at least a fragment of him. Which doesn't make too much sense unless their goal is the oblivion of the universe and all life in it. <laughs> well, knowing Cthulhu Mythos cults, that's probably their intention. Though Azathoth has never shown any sign of even caring if he's being worshipped much less show any favoritism to his cultists, and that's if he's even aware of their existence in the first place. Eh, now that I think about it, Azathoth is omnipotent, so it's more likely the demon sultan is just indifferent. In the Mythos universe, there's this book called the Necronomicon, and Azathoth has a pretty big presence in it. The Necronomicon was written in the early 8th century by Abdul Ahazred, also known as the Mad Arab. He was indifferent to the popular religion of Islam and spent basically his entire life seeking out occult knowledge and the secrets of the universe. Anyone who comes across the Necronomicon, much less reads it, usually succumbs to a horrible fate. And even though he was the author of the Necronomicon, the Mad Arab was no different. While living in Damascus in his old age, the man was shredded to death in public by invisible attackers. So the Necronomicon is pretty messed up, and Azathoth has all of his business up in it. Two different protagonists from the mythos are completely unnerved when they read Azathoth's name in the Necronomicon. Like they just somehow know. But it's believed by many that Azathoth isn't even the entity's true name. And that his true name makes the Elder Gods, the Great Old Ones, and the Outer Gods all tremble with fear and respect. And this is for good reason, because it's really not a matter of if, but when Azathoth awakens, all existence will cease to be, becoming Azathoth once again, and Azathoth will again be alone. So let's just hope that the musicians that keep the entity lulled into slumber never fail to keep the song going, because rest assured if it's ever interrupted, the day Azathoth wakes... We don't. And now we have one of the most popular of the Outer Gods among the Mythos fanhood, known as the Crawling Chaos, the Black Pharaoh, the Haunter in the Dark, Chaos King, Nyarlahotep. This outer god is the direct spawn of Azathoth, or according to some, the very avatar of Azathoth himself. Nyarlahotep may be an outer god, but he's actually pretty, pretty unique when compared to the other outer gods of the mythos. This is because most of the other outer gods are pretty much exiled beyond our physical material universe. But Gnarly Ahotep, on the other hand, can traverse freely on every single plane of existence in all creation. Nothing's barred to him. The entity made its first appearance in the self-titled short story, Nyarlahotep, written by Lovecraft all the way back in 1920. In the tale, he's described as a tall and swarthy man who dresses and looks like an Egyptian pharaoh. He travels the land displaying to all he meets a strange magical instrument-like device that's wondrous to behold. 
The people who see it become his followers, and the Black Pharaoh gains a whole horde of worshippers who slowly lose touch with reality. The narrator of the story among them. He also slowly succumbs to the Outer God's influence. And throughout the tale, he grows more and more unreliable in what he says because of the growing insanity within him. The narrator eventually concludes that the world is ending around him, and like the army of followers in awe of Narliahotep, becomes a complete slave to the Star God's will. What was truly happening couldn't be said, but it was guaranteed the narrator had been totally consumed in madness. He really seems to like his Egyptian form. Naliahotep also manifested as an Egyptian pharaoh when he confronted Randolph Carter from the dream quest of Unknown Kadath, claiming to be an avatar of the Outer Gods, there to execute their will on Earth and in the dreamland. So Naliahotep is pretty unique among the Star Gods. Most entities in the Cthulhu mythos are outside of human comprehension, and so alien to us they're beyond horrifying. I mean, the reason why cosmic horror is so chilling in the first place is humankind's complete insignificance on a universal scale, and that we're at the mercy of entities far more powerful than we could possibly imagine. Nyalahotep's different because whereas most entities are indifferent to humanity at the best of times, he on the other hand has a strange fascination with the human race. While other entities of the mythos seem immoral, detached, and unknowable, Nyalahotep has some very human characteristics, such as the sadistic pleasure and the manipulation of the human race. Azathoth may be the all-powerful Alpha Star God in the mythos, to which all other entities have only but a fraction of power when compared to, but if there were any who were second in power to Azathoth, it would be Nyarlathotep, or perhaps his his, his nephew Yogg-Sothoth. It's, at least to me, it's a for debate, but we'll get to Yogg-Sothoth, don't worry. The Crawling Chaos has little loyalty to basically all the other Outer Gods other than Azathoth, to whom he obeys without question, though Nyarlathotep does sometimes enjoy manipulating his father too. Most Outer Gods are pretty inactive in human affairs and don't really directly influence us. Nyarlathotep, on the other hand, greatly enjoys being among us, and directing our affairs for his own twisted enjoyment. If he wanted to, the crawling chaos could just wipe out all life on Earth in an instant, or could allow other outer gods, or great old ones, or more cosmic horrors entrance into our dimension to wreak chaos. But for the most part, all these dangers are kept at bay, specifically from Nyarlathotep's immense power. Exactly why Nyarlathotep can walk all planes of existence freely while the other gods can't isn't really known. Neither is how he has the power to keep other outer gods and the great old ones out of our dimension. It's really only speculated at and has various theories, but it is safe to say that humanity's outright death and destruction is not enjoyable to him. Most likely because if we humans were wiped out, then he'd lose his favorite playthings. He also has a personality unlike many of the Outer Gods and frequently mingles with humans. Though the Crawling Chaos can take on a thousand different forms, he's unique among the entities in the mythos because he frequently takes on the form of a man. The, the, the ancient Egyptian pharaoh I've been talking about being his most well-known, 
On an interesting side note, Nyarlathotep is also a very popular Japanese manga character who takes on the form of a young schoolgirl. Throughout human history, he's manipulated our civilization's destinies towards confrontation, death, destruction, suffering, and madness. All for his own amusement. And in the Mythos universe, he really could be anyone in history. Who's to say he wasn't Hitler? Or Genghis Khan? Or even maybe Caesar? The Outer God very well could have been any prominent historical figure responsible for causing chaos in the world. And it's really most likely this enjoyment he gains from toying with us that prevents our total annihilation in his hands. Or so some think. Who can possibly know Nyarlathotep's true purpose other than Azathoth himself? But it is safe to say that to Nyarlathotep our existence is pretty much a great game. Lovecraft was first inspired to write about Nyarlathotep because of a terrible nightmare he had. In the dream, Lovecraft got an ominous letter which stated, and I quote, Don't fail to see Nyarlathotep if he comes to Providence. He is horrible. Horrible among anything you can imagine, but wonderful. He haunts one for hours afterwards. I am still shuddering at what he showed. End quote. As Lovecraft read this letter inside the dream, he recalled that the crawling chaos had already come to Providence, and inside his dream, Lovecraft walked outside. The outer god inspired fear and discussion in a public hall. Then all of a sudden, there was displayed a horrific film reel, which he knew was possibly prophetic. Afterward, Nyarlathotep performed frightening experiments with odd scientific devices. Lovecraft remembers people in the dream whispering to him in all of these horrors. But in the dream, Lovecraft went out into the night anyway. Around him were people whispering and moving together down the road. So he fell in with them, afraid yet eager to hear Nyarlathotep. And that's when he woke up. Pretty trippy dream. Or nightmare, I guess. But the memory of the dream was burned into Lovecraft's skull. Later in life, he was compelled to write about it. And Nyarlathotep in the Mythos universe was born. Even though the crawling chaos is second to none, the entity does have siblings. Such as Barkathlanim, the Darkness, and the Nameless Mist. Though recently I came across information that the Darkness and the Nameless Mist were actually the same entity. I couldn't confirm that though. It's, and again, whatever canon you decide is canon. Nyarlathotep would also find a cosmic mate in Yahonde, whom spawned his son, Uga Na'ach. Yeah, these names are, are pretty awesome in the Cthulhu Mythos universe. But eventually his family tree would lead to the Great Old Ones such as Cthulhu. Nyarlathotep's supernatural abilities are godlike, which he uses depending on which one of his various forms he may be in. As a human, he may just snap a man's neck who annoys him or gets in his way. But in any of his cosmic horror forms, he's much more likely to wield unnatural powers beyond belief. The Adder God is capable of superhuman strength, invulnerability, flight, mental influence, many forms of powerful magic, madness induction, reality warping, illusionism, telepathy, and I really could go on, but I think you get the idea of how powerful he is. His greatest ability, though, is his masterful manipulation. 
The world's a chessboard to him, and humans are his pawns. Nyalahotep loves to make deals with humans and lead them to their doom for his own entertainment. And since he's so conniving, sadistic, and deceptive, he's pretty much never trustworthy. But once in a while, he may be entertained by immortal enough to the point he actually lets them leave and live after the encounter. Though, that person is most probably insane, or worse after dealing with the Outer God. Another dimension in the mythos is the Dreamlands, which is similar to the Astral Plane, and it's where only humans may enter through dreams. However, there is a physical means to do it in some cases, though the journey to get there in the Material Plane is immensely treacherous. Interesting to note, too, is other planets and species have their own Dreamlands. The Dreamlands also have their own set of gods called the Great Ones, whom are treated with blatant contempt by Nyarlathotep. Despite this, though, Nyarlathotep protects the Dreamlands, not allowing mortals or other entities to challenge the realm's stability. However, most uh, horrors like the Outer Gods or the Great Old Ones have little to no influence, or even interest for that matter, in the Dreamlands. But the reason why the Crawling Chaos would protect the human dreamland is mysterious. Because it's definitely not benevolence, this is the Lovecraft universe after all. Good and evil literally mean nothing there. Some have speculated that these dreamlands are just part of the gears of the mechanism of existence. The only thing that's really known about these realms is that challenging them will bring the wrath of Nyarlathotep which is most assuredly a horrible demise. Nyarlathotep's cultists on Earth are numerous in more ways than one. The Outer God has so many different forms and avatars that many followers are unaware that they're worshipping just an aspect of a greater entity. And since he can walk freely among all planes of existence, the numbers of his cultists can't really be defined. Some theories even suggest he's actually many of the Elder Gods, such as Nodens and the like. Or even some of the Great Old Ones, or just avatars of Nyarlathotep. So it's really up in the air just how many cultists the Outer God actually has, but it's most likely beyond counting. It's safe to say that the Crawling Chaos is the only Outer God who actively affects our existence on Earth. There are many other sentient species in the Mythos universe, but none have to offer whatever it is that humans have to offer Nyarlathotep that brings him so much enjoyment. On a whim, the Outer God could destroy humanity in an instant, but hasn't. It's also heavily suggested only he can allow other Outer Gods and Great Old Ones into our mortal realm of Earth. And it seems like he doesn't allow them in on purpose. Nyarlathotep enjoys deceiving and manipulating all he crosses, especially humans, and driving people insane is one of his favorite hobbies. But what if one day Nyarlathotep gets bored with us? It's been suggested by some that the crawling chaos may be the creature that will ultimately destroy the world. He's been revered by humans throughout history as gods, rulers, and countless other people of influence with no end to the possibilities of just how much of an impact he's had on the human race over the millennia. But one thing is for certain, we humans are near Lahotep's favorite toys.
from the story, The Seven Geeses, comes probably the most disgusting outer god to be introduced into the mythos, whom goes by the name Abat, the unclean and repugnant. This eldritch horror is the source of all uncleanliness. The outer god's appearance is a pool of fluctuating gray organic mud-like matter, and is both mother and father to constantly birthing horrors that fall out of it. The further Abat's children crawl away from it, the bigger they become. Though for the most part, these disgusting abominations devour one another, or are consumed back into Abat. These children of the Great Unclean One have many forms. Some look similar to Abat, being pulsating organic masses with random mouths, eyes, and tentacles constantly forming, changing, and morphing into something else. Growing organs and appendages like arms, fins, legs, claws, mandibles, and mouths. But no two children of the outer god are alike. And they're also all very complex life forms. Though most of them have little intelligence, acting more out of instinct than anything else. But they can be intelligent too. Just more rare. Some children of a bot just form as singular body parts. But there's also humanoids and pretty much any monsters you can imagine that make up the ranks of the Great Unclean One's children. And, disgustingly, Abat constantly feeds off these children, pulling them back into the amorphous blob that is its body with lashing tentacles. This eldritch horror exists in a never-ending circle of constantly birthing and then feeding off of its own children. And though the Outer God does have an unending hunger, to eat its own children. It's interesting to note that Abat refuses to eat the human protagonist from the Seven Geeses, the story it's featured in. Abat literally says through telepathy that it won't eat the human for fear of endangering its digestion. And the Outer God also says that humans are quite alien to its experience. Which, uh, pretty much proves that Abat is one of the lesser Outer Gods. Because, I mean, most have very few limitations. Though this might have something to do with the theory that Abat is the father and mother of viruses. And so is pretty much alien to natural organic life in a sense. Some even going so far as to say that all viruses are actually just a part of Abat. These are just theories though. But the one thing for sure about the Outer God is that it's the source of all miscreation and abomination. Abat's also one of the few outer gods to show signs of personality, you know, in a way that humans can comprehend at least, having a twisted and cynical mind. Abat may possibly itself just actually be the excrement or the result of another outer god that became sentient in its own being, in a sense serving no purpose. It's even rumored to have been spawned by Shub-Nagurath, which is a twisted fertility god, and uh, another outer god that we will get to. Abat creates life without any thought or purpose, which is symbolically in sync with cosmic horror being a twisted mirror of life, and that despite being an outer god, Abat is unacknowledged and irrelevant to the universe. But if the Great Unclean One is just the excretion of another outer god, it would definitely explain its strange limitations not found in other star gods. If anything, Abat reminds me of Grandfather Nurgle from the Warhammer 40,000 universe, of which I'm a huge fan. 
Nurgle's greater demons are even called Great Unclean Ones, and the Chaos God is the Lord of Pestilence and Decay. Its form is a putrid and plague-ridden blob of ever-changing matter too, though Nurgle has a, a joyous and jolly sense of humor and demeanor. The two do seem pretty similar though. I mean, I think that Nurgle could have even been inspired by a bot. Warhammer is pretty old, but the Seven Geeses in which the Outer God was first featured was released all the way back in 1934. So the Lovecraftian horror is way older than Grandfather Nurgle. And it's time for a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. listeners, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Are you interested in starting your own podcast? Please support the show by using our sponsor, Blueberry. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes, as well as pretty much all podcast hubs. Don't worry about contracts or expensive fees. You have your own RSS feed and no third-party site. You won't ever have to leave your own website. Blueberry hosting really is the key to podcast success. Try it for a month free and a month of free podcast statistics by going to crypticchroniclespodcast.com. At the bottom of the homepage, you'll see the Blueberry link. By going through us, you'll really be helping us out. Also, make sure to support the show by joining the Chronicler's Vault. By supporting us on Patreon, you'll have access to exclusive bonus episodes. The more financial support we get, the more content we can produce. Anything will help, so if you can't afford the Chronicler's Vault, simply donate whatever you can, and we would greatly appreciate it. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click the donation button on the bottom of the homepage. To keep up to date with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, or our Facebook page. Throwing the Facebook page a like would also be very awesome. Thank you for supporting Cryptic Chronicles. Most of all, thanks for listening. said to be one of the most widely worshipped entities in the entire mythos, and the grandmother of Cthulhu, comes the twisted fertility goddess, Shubnagroth. This outer god also has the saying, the black goat, and the mother of a thousand young associated with it. She's also been called the All-Mother. Lovecraft first introduced the entity in his revision story, The Last Test, and throughout the mythos, she's rarely a physical presence, more so referenced often. But she's also mentioned in a lot of incantations from the Necronomicon. So there's really not too much to work with when trying to give an overview of this outer god. This eldritch horror does have tons of cultists, though, and worshippers all throughout time, dimensions, and even aliens on other worlds. Just like a lot of entities in the mythos, Shubnagaroth has many different descriptions of her. But the main one is that she's a cloudy amorphous black mass with tentacles swirling about everywhere, and a plethora of slime dripping mouths with short goat-like legs writhing about protruding randomly. Shubnagaroth also gives birth constantly to nightmarish entities that just fall off her. Similar to a bot, these entities are constantly reabsorbed back into the miasmic body of the outer god. 
However, some of these things escape, living some monstrous life elsewhere and most likely causing much horror and suffering to sentient material beings. These spawn of Shebnagaroth can appear very differently, and are most assuredly responsible for many monster legends throughout human history of the Mythos universe. Being an outer god, Shebnagaroth dwells just outside of our material plane, but her influence is just as present, if not more so, than the other outer gods. She's the offspring of another outer god known as the Darkness, who's one of the siblings of Nyarlathotep. Shebnagaroth has mated with both Yogg-Sothoth and Haster the Unspeakable, giving birth to the great old ones known as Nub and Yeb, Yogg-Sothoth being the father. Though, there are some who say that Nub and Yeg are the children of Haster. These two don't play a huge role in the mythos, but Nub is significant because it's the parent of the great old one Cthulhu. Shemnigaroth dwells just outside of our material universe, but exactly where she resides is up for debate. Some theories say that she's actually in Azathoth's court, staying close to the demon sultan at the center of all existence. But there's also theories she resides on the alien planet of Yadith, being served by massive monster worm-like creatures called doles. Shemnigaroth's powers and abilities are godly, Basically like what you'd expect from an outer god, considering the ones I've already mentioned. She has superhuman physical characteristics, can warp reality, manipulate time and matter, and a whole list of other stuff. She's one of the main outer gods with very few limitations. But most notably, she creates these entities called Dark Young, who act as avatars for her to accept offerings and respond to summonings from worshippers and cultists. These dark young can have various appearances, but mostly resemble Shubnagroth's tentacled cloudiomorphous form. They smell like an open grave, and roam the woods wherever a Shubnagroth cult is active. They smell pretty bad, so you can see them coming from pretty far away. The smell's been analogous to an open grave, and the dark young will pretty much roam the woods wherever a Shubnagroth cult is active. They preside over the cultist ceremonies, and can actually be summoned quite easily through blood offerings. These rituals must be always performed in the deepest woods far from civilization during the darkest moon, and the blood sacrifice must always be killed over a stone altar. But there's, there's also other occult ways to get Shebnagaroth's attention. This is just the main way that her cultists get their god's attention. The Dark Young will also hunt and devour non-believers who enter the woods or threaten cult activities, and they seek to spread the worship of Shebnagaroth all across the planet. In exchange for blood sacrifices, the Outer God will bless its worshippers with bountiful harvests of crops, fruits, and vegetables, as well as make humans worshipping her extremely fertile, blessing them with many, many children. So, I guess out of all the other outer gods, she seems like the least deadly to those who worship her, and may even actually care about her devotees. She gives favorites her milk, which has many mutating properties and anyone who drinks it turns into fierce creatures. But if she really favors a human, her blessings go even deeper. She'll bestow on a worshipper she truly favors with something called the Dark Gift. The worshipper must be held in the highest esteem and favor simply for consideration. But when one proves themselves enough, then a special ceremony is held. 
the candidate will be swallowed up by one of Shubnagaroth's avatars, basically devoured. The worshipper is metaphysically altered beyond a mere human, then vomited back out in their reborn state, which resembles a satire from Greek mythology. A humanoid being that has goat legs, twisted bestial physical features, and horns on their head. And the favored human worshipper now has paranormal powers and is endowed with immortality. Now, the, the canon for Shrevnagaroth is kind of up in the air, and open to interpretation like pretty much all the entities in the Mythos universe. Usually, Shrevnagaroth is associated with the Black Code of the Woods as being pretty much the same entity. A man named Rodolfo Ferraresi did a lot of in-depth research into all the Mythos work, writing an essay having some pretty valid points. The essay is called The Question of Shrevnagaroth. In it, Ferraresi says that Lovecraft himself wrote the Black Code of the Woods and Shebnagaroth as two distinct entities. Like, as an example, the story Out of the Aeons, which does make them seem like two totally separate beings, though the two are definitely connected. The Black Goat is a figurehead through which Shebnagaroth is worshipped, like a... like a high priest of sorts. The Black Goat's even depicted as being male, Whereas Shebnagaroth is always depicted as being 100% feminine. She's a fertility goddess, and this is presented objectively in the story, The Whisperer in the Darkness, in which the Black Goat is referred to as the Lord of the Woods. When he created the Black Goat, Lovecraft was definitely inspired by the Greek god Pan, but it's also likely he was inspired by an entity called the Horned God from Wiccanism, though Wiccanism didn't exist back then. The blueprints for it definitely did. Well, I mean, what would eventually become modern Wiccanism. The Horned God being one of the main deities in Wiccanism, which the lore on it actually goes back millennia. But still, the Black Goat could just be an avatar of Shebnagaroth. The powers of the main outer gods are pretty much limitless. And an interesting side note, in the Cthulhu Mythos RPG game, the Black Goat is definitely the male avatar version of Shebnagaroth. It's strange that this outer god is one of the most important and widely worshipped entities in the mythos, but outside of the mythos universe, there really isn't much information on her. She's rarely written about other than in passing or part of an in-universe evocation, like from the Necronomicon. Also, like most entities in the mythos, she's neither good or evil, she merely is. The outer gods are beyond human comprehension and far above the limited perceptions of humans concerning morality. Though out of all the star gods, Shebnagaroth is probably one of the safest to worship or be a cult in, because she seems to actually care about her followers, and can give them powerful boons and blessings, even making the most worthy immortal humanoid goat entities. The all-in-one, the one and all, the opener of the way, the beyond one, the key and the gate, the lurker at the threshold. All these are the names of one of the most powerful entities in all the Mythos universe. The outer god, yogg Sothoth. He's the third in the trinity of the most powerful cosmic horrors of all Lovecraft's creations. He's one of the most ancient eldritch horrors who commands tremendous powers, 
And just like most outer gods exist just beyond our material universe. Yogg-Sothoth is the master of space-time and sees all realities of the multiverse all at the same time. And like the other ones I've talked about, this outer god has a long list of powers and abilities. Like omniscience, omnipresence, reality warping, telepathy, and invulnerability, etc, etc. He's the offspring of the nameless Mist, Nyalahotep's sibling, and is the grandfather of Cthulhu. Here's what H.P. Lovecraft had to say on Yogg-Sothoth, and I quote, Yogg-Sothoth knows the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the key and guardian of the gate. Past, present, and future, all are one in Yogg-Sothoth. He knows where the old ones broke through of old, and where they shall break through again. He knows where they have trod Earth's fields, and where they still tread them, and why no one can behold them as they tread. End quote. This outer god has a bunch of different forms and appearances he can take on, just like Nyarlathotep, though not nearly as many forms as Nyarlathotep has. Yuxathoth is a massive cosmic entity, dwarfing pretty much everything, I think, except for Azathoth. And just like Azathoth, his true form is beyond human comprehension, though there are similarities in a common mutually agreed upon form for him in the Mythos universe. Yogg-Sothoth appears as a mass of glowing orbs with countless sizes, whom has flaying tendrils sprouting everywhere with a bubbling mass of eyes which are constantly changing. The tendrils have many sharp-toothed, gaping mouths forming randomly, but Yogg-Sothoth is ever-altering. Just like the ever-changing countless universes he sees all at once. Though, like I said, he has various avatar forms. One of my favorite being a floating mass of tentacles with a huge eye in the center. Which reminds me of a beholder from D&D. But some of Yogg-Sothoth's forms are even humanoid. Those features are always hidden, usually behind a shimmering veil. Yogg-Sothoth isn't outright malevolent or evil or good. If anything, really, Yogg-Sothoth is neutral. But then again, trying to define him with human morals is laughable. The Outer God also seems to have no problem interacting with humans and even kind of may enjoy it in a twisted sort of way. Yogg-Sothoth may be one with all space-time and all-powerful, but unlike his uncle near Lahotep, he's blocked from entering the material plane of Earth. That is, unless he's summoned somehow. Or not him, I mean, um, a piece of him is summoned. An avatar. And since he's all-time, past, present, and future, in all planes of existence in the multiverse... There's countless cultists and people who worship him all throughout the infinite universes and eras of time. There are no secrets from Yogg-Sothoth. He sees all, knows all, hears all, and sees inside the minds of all. He may not be the most powerful entity in the Cthulhu mythos, but he's without a doubt the most knowledgeable. So many seeking knowledge, or those who covet and worship higher knowledge and the forbidden secrets of the universe all seek out Yogg-Sothoth. He possesses a level of intelligence far greater than human comprehension. A human trying to talk to Yogg-Sothoth is analogous to an ant trying to talk to a human. He's just an intelligence beyond what our small human minds can even remotely grasp. So, there's an insane amount of priceless knowledge that a human can gain from Yogg-Sothoth, which is why cultists and the like seek out to summon him. 
Though whatever higher knowledge the deity may give, it does come at a steep cost. Unspeakable acts must be committed to gain Yogg-Sothoth's attention, and things rarely work out as planned. One of the most famous stories of Yogg-Sothoth is the Dunwich Horror, in which the entity actually impregnates a human woman, who then goes on to give birth to twin monstrosities. But people also summon Yogg-Sothoth looking for power, or seeking to gain at least a little bit of influence over space-time. Trying to use the Outer God to gain personal power can be a pretty risky business, though, because anyone who tries to screw with time or alter reality will end up with Yogg-Sothoth, who will punish the transgressor in a fate worse than death. Or worse than... anything, really. Messing with an entity who can trap you in infinite time loops of torment is foolish to say the least. But those who practice the occult, sorcery, or anything of that nature often seek out contact with the lurker at the threshold. In the story Beyond the Gates of the Silver Key, the protagonist gets to straight up talk to Yogg-Sothoth. He talks with the Outer God while journeying through the multiverse, and it's a pretty cool story. But Lovecraft first mentions Yogg-Sothoth in the story called The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. The Outer God then becoming pretty much a common component in the mythos from that point onward. Many other writers would go on to write about Yogg-Sothoth too, and he would become one of the most popular entities in the mythos universe. But the old god is most well known from the short story The Dunwich Horror, which revolves around the creepy Waitley family who are generation-to-generational people of occultism and even have their own copy of the Necronomicon. In the tale, Old Whitley summons Yogg-Sothoth and convinces the Outer God to impregnate his daughter, the albino Lavinia Whitley. She gives birth to twins, but one remains hidden. The child she doesn't hide's name is Wilbur, and he grows much faster than any human child should be able to. Wilbur looked really, really weird to say the least. Like, he was just goatish and off, and he never went anywhere without being completely buttoned up in full attire with no skin ever showing. On Halloween night, 1926, Wilbur's mother Lavinia vanished, being presumably killed or sacrificed by her son Wilbur. The other of the twins remained hidden, and for good reason. People who visited the Waitley house claimed to hear strange sounds coming from the attic. And the locals just grew more and more suspicious because Old Waitley would always buy more and more cattle, but the size of his herd would never increase. Eventually, Old Man Waitley dies of natural causes, with the invisible twin monster left to just keep growing and growing. This other twin of Wilbur is a monstrous horror, and more closely resembles its parent, Yogg-Sothoth. Since it wasn't able to walk around freely like Wilbur, Wilbur had to take care of it, feeding it a steady diet of cattle to satiate its ravenous hunger. Wilbur had ambition to summon one of the great old ones, but his family's Necronomicon was missing the pages to do so. So he broke into the Miskatonic University in Arkham where he could find a full version of the Necronomicon. And this is where Wilbur would meet his fate being killed by a guard dog driven to a natural ferocity by Wilbur's alien nature. And it's when Yogg-Sothoth's son is killed that his true monstrous form is revealed. You see, the reason why Wilbur was always fully clothed, with no skin showing, was because his body was nightmare fuel. His torso looked pretty much reptilian, 
and his abdomen had a bunch of long greenish tentacles with red-sucking mouths at the end. On his hips were bizarre, giant, rudimentary eyes, and he had a trunk-like tail with an underdeveloped mouth, and he had bird-like legs with hooved feet. But after a bit, the corpse turned into a greeny, goo icker before it vanished altogether, smoldering away to leave no evidence of Wilbur's existence. And as you can imagine, with Wilbur Waitley dead, there was no longer anyone around to attend to the other monstrous invisible twin growing to be massive back on the farm. So, early one morning, the farmhouse exploded, and Wilbur's twin wreaked havoc on Dumwich. Eventually, the monster is confronted by people with the occult knowledge to fight it. A magical powder is thrown on it to make it visible, sending people into shock from its monstrous alien form. The eldritch horror was the size of a barn, and oddly and creepily calls out for help in English before a spell kills it, leaving a huge burned area where it once was. There's a lot of Outer Gods in the Cthulhu Mythos that actually have very little information on them. You'll be lucky to find anything more than a paragraph describing these entities. First up, we have Kasaxacleth, aka Illimitable Androgynous Desire. This Outer God lives on a planet called Yuggath at the very edge of Earth's solar system, home to a colony of aliens called Migo, which are a race of, um, like crustacean fungus type extraterrestrials. Kasaxacleth is the direct offspring of Azathoth, and spawned children of its own whom at one time lived with it on Yuggath, but they left because of the entity's cannibalistic tendencies. Some information suggests that Kasaxacleth broke itself into two separate beings representing its masculine and feminine energies, the male one being Nug and the feminine one being Yeb. These entities would go on to have their own offspring, Nug famously being the parent of Cthulhu himself. But the theories on Kasaxacleth are not definite, and open to translation for personal canon, just like all Lovecraft's cosmic horrors. Next is Daeloth, the renderer of veils, aka the parter of veils. Daeloth lives in a dimension beyond the three humans are capable of comprehending, and its ineffable shape causes people to instantly go insane. So, when summoned, the cultists must make sure to do so in pitch black darkness, or else the whole ceremony will descend into madness as the cultists kill one another, then themselves. Also, many magical spells must be used to contain the aspect of the utter god upon summoning it, because it will continue to expand endlessly, and anyone the entity touches or envelops is instantly transferred to bizarre and remote alien worlds, pretty much always killing them. Daloth's worship is actually pretty rare on Earth, but the Outer God does give its small number of worshippers boons. Its astrology priests are given the ability to see into the future and the past freely, and even see how objects interact with different dimensions. A request that Daloth will pretty much always grant is the ability to see things as they are without any illusion or veils. And as you can probably guess, the sight is more than any human can possibly bear driving them into total madness. 
Here's a description of the Outer God by its creator, Ramsey Campbell. In this story, the renderer of the veils. I quote, The image of Daloth was not shapeless, but so complex that the eye could not recognize no describable shape. There were hemispheres in shining metal, coupled by long plastic rods. They merged into a flat mass from which protruded individual cylinders. As he looked at it, he had a curious feeling that eyes gleamed from between these rods. But wherever he glanced at the construction, he saw only spaces between them. End quote. Next outer god is the darkness, also known as the nameless mist, magnum tenebrosum, and the unnamed darkness. This is one of the original outer gods, and being one of the original outer gods, there sure is little written on such an important entity in the Mythos universe. Shemnagroth is its offspring and Nyarlahotep its sibling. But then again, the Nameless Mist is also depicted as another outer god altogether, and the husband of Shemnagroth, which is pretty confusing. One thing's for sure, though, whether being depicted as one entity or two, they were older than pretty much everything except Azathoth himself. I personally think that they're two separate entities. Then there's Deendra, also known as the Divinity. Deendra is a shape-shifting outer god like Nirlahotep, and is actually currently dead in the mythos. But Deendra did exist for eons traveling through the cosmos with an eternal hunger to literally eat planets. It was a shapeshifter, but its favorite form to take was a giant squid-like monster. Its second favorite was a dark smoke of organic matter with millions of teeth, and it pretty much mostly was in one of these two forms, despite its shapeshifting abilities. Deendra also seems to be one of the, the lesser outer gods, because it has limitations, just like Abat, the source of all uncleanliness. This outer god was murdered by Cthulhu himself, back before Egyptian times when it came to devour Earth, and legends of this battle formed in Egyptian mythology, in which the sun god Ra battles the devouring monster Apep in his sky chariot. This is the only account I've come across so far of a great old one killing an outer god. And then there's the outer god Groth, also known as Nemesis, Death Star, or the Harbinger. This outer god is pretty cool because it just looks like a, like a rust-colored moon with a single massive red eye. And it pretty much just travels through space eternally. It'll close its eye to avoid detection from spacefaring aliens or other entities, making it look just like a regular moon. Groth eternally sings something called the Siren Song, the music of the spheres. Whenever it passes by a world where an outer god or a great old one sleeps, the cosmic horrors are awakened by its song. Then there's the Hydra. The Hydra is another lesser outer god that lurks in the darkest depths of the Mesopotamian Sea. It looks exactly like the Hydra from Greek mythology, being the inspiration for those legends in the first place. The Hydra hates all surface dwellers and outer gods too, as well as the Great Old Ones and pretty much any other star spawn. The Hydra was once something else entirely, called Zalthir, whom earned the titles Lying Bastard and Accuser for conspiring against the other outer gods. He was obviously beaten, then transformed into the Hydra and banished to Earth. 
This entity steadily grows in power, hoping to one day leave our planet and have revenge against the Outer Gods. Though, in all honesty, if the Hydra ever got out of line, it would probably, or I mean most assuredly actually, be murdered by Cthulhu. And it probably wouldn't be too hard for Cthulhu either, considering just how little power the entity has compared to the other Outer Gods after being transformed into the Hydra. Then there's the Outer God Noth Yiddick, whom has ridiculously little to work with in reference. So here's two quotes where the Outer God is mentioned in the literature. The first one's from H.P. Lovecraft and Hazel Heald's The Horror in the Museum. I quote, Fool, spawn of Noth Yiddick and effluvium of Cthun, son of the dogs that howl in the maelstrom of Azathoth. You would have been sacred and immortal. Now you are betraying it and its priest. End quote. The priest being referred to as Cthulhu, the high priest of the Outer Gods. The next quote is spoken by Lynn Carter from the story, The Madness of Time. And I quote, I, I speak of the very hounds of Tindalos themselves, those hunters from beyond, that be the spawn of Noth Yiddick and the effluvium of Cthun, and that howl forever in the maelstrom that is dread and fearsome Azathoth. I, they be none other than the very minions and servitors of the demon sultan, under their ghastly sire and dam, Noth Yiddick and terrible Cthun. End quote. Now, I'm not entirely sure why this next entity is labeled as an outer god, but he is for some reason. Junembra, also called the flautist of Azathoth. This entity eternally resides in the court of Azathoth helping to keep the demon sultan in its endless slumber. Though Trunembra doesn't possess an instrument to play music for Azathoth, but is an instrument in and of itself. The Outer God is made entirely out of visible noise, and seems to be, well, I guess at least from human perception, seems to be unintelligent. In the Mythos universe, it's actually only been summoned once bringing with it its maddening cacophony of music it uses to keep Azathoth asleep, which drove everyone who heard it insane, and caused total chaos and destruction to the ancient civilization that summoned it. Next is Tulsja, the Green Flame. Tulsja also resides eternally in Azathoth's court, dancing around the Demon Sultan with all the other lesser outer gods. When an aspect of it is summoned to Earth, it assumes a gaseous form that penetrates straight to the planet's core, then erupts as a green pillar of flame, hence its namesake. It can't move from the position it emerges, and pretty much seems to be one of the most limited and weakest of all the Outer Gods. It was first mentioned in the story The Festival, written by Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and there really isn't much more to say about it. Next is an interesting outer god, because in the Mythos universe, some think it to be the god of the Old Testament of the Bible. And this outer god is called Ugo Sathla, also known as the Unbegotten Source or the Demiurge. Ugo Sathla is described as a protoplasmic mass residing in a grotto deep beneath frozen earth. It's made up of fecundity and randomly generating primordial single-celled organisms that constantly spill forth from its shapeless form. It possesses stone tablets thought to contain the knowledge of the Elder Gods, which is very sought after by people who seek forbidden knowledge. 
Ubosathla spawned all prototype life forms on Earth, though whatever it touches is devoid of life forever, and is destined to one day reabsorb all living things on Earth, bringing an apocalypse to the planet. Alright, and last, there's the Outer Gods, Xanoth, who has literally nothing written about it. This Outer God is basically only known for being the bane to the Time God of Forgamon, whom is believed to be an avatar of the overpowered god of space-time, Yogg-Sothoth. It was first created by author Clark Ashton Smith, and first appears in the story, The Chain of a Forgamon. Alright, that's all for this episode. Now, there's a there's a ton of other outer gods in the mythos, but I pretty much covered all the main ones. Some are only talked about in like a single sentence and then never mentioned again. There's also the expanded mythos universe outer gods I didn't even touch, though I'll probably eventually get down to them down the line. I'll also do episodes on the great old ones, the elder gods, and Maybe all the other species, entities, or basically everything about the Cthulhu mythos. I really love it. If you enjoyed this episode, even just a little bit, please consider supporting us on Patreon by joining the Chronicler's Vault, and get extra episodes of the show as a thank you. Just go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com. Though there will always be free episodes, the cost to make them is substantial and time-consuming. Originally, we were going to do stuff like an interview podcast, but we wanted it to be more intimate than that. So we spend tons of time on research and, you know, putting together something you can listen to again and again, not just listen to once and then toss out. That's why it takes us so long to release episodes, because we just want to get better and better and just have a really, really high quality standard. But if you can't afford the Chronicler's Vault, that's okay too, because, you know, we understand. Everybody gets charged, basically, to just breathe this day and age. Though, it would be awesome any help you have to offer. Even just a random donation of whatever here or there on the podcast website would be great. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, as well as Stitcher and many podcast apps. Please subscribe on Tumblr, Twitter, but especially our Facebook page to stay up to date on all Cryptic Chronicles content. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, please consider using our sponsor, Blueberry, to get started. I got in trouble last time because I called it Blueberry, but it's Blueberry with two R's, no E. By going through Cryptic Chronicles, you can get a free month of the best podcast stats and hosting. And, you know, sponsorship aside, I'll be honest with you, it is the best in the business. Just go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the links that we have at the bottom of the homepage. We get a cut, so it would be pretty cool and a, a really good way to support the show. But blah, 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 blah. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Outer Gods of the Cthulhu Mythos. See you next time.